Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Legend of Zelda Lorecast. I'm your host, Aaron, and joining me is my fellow host, Ariel. Hello. So I'm really excited to do this podcast. <laughs> um, before we jump in, I think it's important that we tell a little bit about ourselves and our experience with Legend of Zelda series. Um, I personally have been a huge Legend of Zelda fan since I was... <sighs> Five, six. I mean, I was a kid when I first played my first Legend of Zelda game, um, and I've loved it ever since. And I have played every single Legend of Zelda game to date thoroughly, hundred percent of it. Have to go back and do it again. Huge fan. <laughs> well, I played Legend of Zelda as a kid, not as much as a fanatic as you are. <laughs> I have not played every single game, but I am extremely interested in learning more about Legend of Zelda. And I'm extremely interested to teach you. Now, see, a lot of people at home are probably going to be asking, well, if you don't know about a lot about Legend of Zelda, why is she on the podcast? Well... Where Ariel doesn't know a lot about Legend of Zelda, she does know a lot about worldly influences, which The Legend of Zelda has taken a huge amount of worldly influences from across the globe and thrown them into the game. So Ariel is going to be our resident expert on bringing Legend of Zelda imagination into reality. What influenced it? What caused it? What are the implications? She's our realist, whereas I am just... The guy who will tell you the amazing stories and fill in the little gaps. <laughs> well, with all that being said, without further ado, let's go ahead and dive into our very first episode of the Legend of Zelda Lorecast. So where we're going to start off is, of course, we have to discuss the one big question on everybody's mind, which is what is the canon order to play the games in? Well, I'm going to tell you. So, 
according to the Legend of Zelda Hyrule Historia, the canon order to play the games in is Skyward Sword, the Minish Cap, Four Swords, Ocarina of Time. Now, this is where things get tricky. If you play the Hero is Defeated timeline, we then dive into A Link to the Past, Oracle of Ages and Oracle of Seasons, Link's Awakening, The Legend of Zelda, and The Adventure of Link. If you're going to play the Hero is Triumphant and it's the Child era, you will then continue on to Majora's Mask, Twilight Princess, and Four Swords Adventures. If we're going to the Hero is Triumphant as an adult, you will then carry over to Wind Waker, Phantom Hourglass, Spirit Tracks. Now, the one important question on everybody's mind is, where does Breath of the Wild fall into this? Now, we're going to do a whole episode on Breath of the Wild and discussing why it fits where best and things like that. But short, sweet, and simple to the point. Right now, the creators have simply said it is left best to the player's imagination. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. So, wherever you feel it fits best, that's where it fits. <laughs> but we all, for a matter of fact, know that it happens after all of the games that are already released. So it happens sometime at the end of the timeline. Why don't you tell fans what you think or where you think it goes? <sighs> so we'll get more in depth into that in a separate episode with some theories. But personally, I believe it fits best after spirit tracks for the simple reason of number one there are huge hints that the land is a different land number two there are also huge hints at the fact that there was a large amount of water that had washed it away and the last fact is that spirits in this game resemble a lot like their abilities and the reason they're here and a lot of that stuff best resembles spirit tracks. Okay. I can see that. Mm -hmm. So, but again, we'll get into all these theories and it doesn't mean that I'm right. It just means personally, this one fits the best. Well, yeah, that's why I said opinion. <laughs> but with all that being said, we should dive in to the lore that we're going to cover today. And that is the beginning of it all. First, before we talk about the beginning of it all, we have to immediately give credit to our wonderful and amazing goddesses that created our beautiful world of Hyrule, which is the Golden Goddesses. <clears throat> the Golden Goddesses are Nehru, the Goddess of Wisdom, Din, the Goddess of Power, and Feror, the Goddess of Courage. Now, long ago, when the world was dark, twisted and not even just the world the whole universe was dark twisted and chaotic the universe saw fit to create some semblance of togetherness some semblance of unity some semblance of 
control. So birthed were our golden goddesses from which they created the planet. And I'm going to read you a slight blurb from The Legend of Zelda Hyrule Historia. The world was created by the three golden goddesses during a time of chaos. Din, the goddess of power, created the lands. Nehru, the goddess of wisdom, created order. And Feror, the goddess of courage, created the diverse inhabitants of the world. Upon leaving the world, the goddesses left behind the Triforce, three golden triangles. It is said that any wish the possessor of the Triforce desires will come true. So with all that being said, the three golden goddesses created the world. Once they were finished, they left the people or the inhabitants of the world one final gift, which was, in fact, the Triforce. Though it was a mighty and powerful weapon, if it fell in the wrong hands, it could be used for a great and destructive evil. So, a little fun fact about the goddesses that I thought was pretty interesting. Okay. That, well, their element and color. Now, keep in mind, they are golden, but their powers have a color. So, I thought that was kind of cool. You're right. Yep. Okay. Din, her thing is power. So, her element is fire. And then, of course, the color is red. Mm -hmm. Which we do get to see when we go to the Goron area to get the uh, spirit gem in Ocarina of Time. So then we have Nehru, who's wisdom, and her thing is water and blue. So I wanted to bring something up with this. I'm so glad you mentioned this. Because when you think wisdom, what is the first color you think of? Yellow. Well, the first color I think of is blue, personally. So when they chose blue for wisdom, I thought it was great. Because the other thing, too, is that a lot of people believe that the sea holds the most wisdom in the world. Okay, yeah, I so, can see that. So, I mean, because it's a very unexplored area, it's pretty cool to think about. And last we have Ferrora, who's Courage, and hers is Wind and Green. So, again, we have the concept of green, which is symbolized in a lot of... JRPGs, just games in general, when when you think of wind or you have wind-like powers, it's immediately symbolized by green. Yeah, but for me, when I think of wind, I think of blue or like a light blue, you know? (laughs) Well, a light blue, I could see, yeah. (laughs) No, I'm glad you brought that up, though, because that, yeah, it's an important detail to note because although... We all, as big fans, you know, of the series, know that that is the respective colors. A lot of newcomers, especially when you play the Breath of the Wild series, they don't have a lot of this background knowledge. Yeah, uh, you know, immediately they just dive into the Breath of the Wild, and real realistically, there's not a whole lot connecting to the Golden Goddesses in the Breath of the Wild at first glance. Which is another point I want to bring up in these series is that though the golden goddesses, we we know they've been there since the beginning and we know that they've been mentioned in many games, they're not heavily mentioned in a lot. Mm-mm, you're right. It's very loosely mentioned. Um, even in Majora's Mask, their influence on Termina is there we can see it. There's carvings in some of the old temples and even some of the statues of them. 
But again, they're not mentioned by a whole lot. It's mostly the four giants. Yeah, when uh, the goddesses were first mentioned, it was in the manual of A Link to the Past. But they were not given the names yet. They were just mentioned. No? No. No, they were first called by their names in Ocarina of Time. As... And they appeared in a backflash as flaming, golden, feminine, humanoid figures. Yeah, that had to be one of my most beloved scenes back in the day was that that whole flashback was just it was just amazing. I can't say enough nice things about Ocarina of Time, though. (laughs) (laughs) Well, do you have any more interesting facts for us? Not right now. I do have some more, but we will discuss them when we get to it. Methinks you're talking about some certain spirits. Perhaps. <laughs> well, with all that being said, we're on the Triforce at this point. So when the Golden Goddesses left, or the Goddesses as they're commonly referred to, when they left the Triforce, they left it entrusted to another goddess, which goes by the name of Helia. Now, Helia was entrusted with protecting the Triforce and ensuring that it never fell into the wrong hands. During the ancient battle, which came shortly after, the leader of the demons, the demon king, Demise, tried to take over the world and get the Triforce for his own power. After a massive battle with Demise, Helia gathered all of the humans who had survived the original battle along with the Triforce and put it all on a plot of land. And she sent the land into the sky. Uh, She positioned a huge barrier of clouds to protect it from any prying eyes and to protect the people that now live on that land from being able to come back down to the lands. Now, the people who remained on the ground continued to fight alongside Hylia and they managed to stive off the Demon King. However, this is where we jump into the events of Skyward Sword. Later on, we find out that Hylia sacrificed her immortality when she acknowledged the fact that as a goddess, she could not use the Triforce. What she was intending to use the Triforce for was to completely just eradicate demise from ever existing. So, when sacrificing her immortality, she then became reborn as a mortal, which we know as Princess Zelda. Here is where things get tricky. During the events of Skyward Sword, Zelda has to go through trials and everything else to regain her memory as Hylia. Once she does this, she then has to go through a time gate. Now, we know Link. We all love Link. Link is the chosen hero of all of our stories, but this is the very first Link that's been acknowledged in any of the stories. In this story, they talk about how the hero was appointed all these years ago by the goddess. She chose him by giving him a sailcloth and he wielded this powerful sword and all of these things. Well, in the end of the game, 
Huge spoilers for anybody who hasn't played these. In the end of the game, you as Link have to travel back in time to finish Demise, not only in the present, but in the past. A lot of people theorize that this makes Link the very first hero of time. The hero of legend. The hero of all. Because Zelda gave him the cloth. He carried the powerful sword. It all fell into place. So when he finished Demise off, Demise left a curse upon them all, saying that any time the goddess was reborn, his vengeance, his wrath, his hatred for the goddess and everything else good would also be reborn. To which the cycle of the hero was implemented. So now we have the eternal cycle of not only Hylia becoming reborn, but also the hero of legend and Demise's fury and his vengeance. So this is the beginning of the Legend of Zelda series. It is a very tragic one when you begin to think about it. If we take a step back and we put it into the real world, what you have is a young uh, not even just one but two young people who have been told they have to sacrifice everything they know to protect the land and to return it to what that's once you know lovely glory and to protect not just their people but all of the people from this cre- crazed powerful demon king so they have to sacrifice who they are And I have told Ariel many times before, I haven't played a single Legend of Zelda game without crying at the end of it because they are all so sad when you truly think about it. Because at the end of Skyward Sword, Zelda looks to Link and simply says, I think I'll stay here for a while. What are you going to do? And Link just gives her a smirk. And though it's a happy ending, it's a sad one too, because you have to think about it. These two young people have basically just given up their entire lives to protect the Triforce. So we've covered a lot of the beginning. And yes, I know our hardcore Legend of Zelda fans are like, but there's so much more detail. And we will get to it in time when we discuss each game when we get to them. But first, we got to get the important details out of the way. So after our mid-break... We're going to dive into the world of Hyrule and how it has evolved throughout the ages, or in this case, the games. So we'll talk about that when we come back from a mid-break. Well, here we are in the middle of the show. This is the part where we'll usually thank our patrons, but we don't have any because we don't have a Patreon set up yet. (laughs) But it is coming Um, And if you're on our Discord, you've seen some of the exclusive teas that we're going to have for our beloved patrons. But if you're on our Discord, um, you'll see some of the exclusive t-shirt designs that we've already come out with for our certain levels of patrons. And one of the tiers is going to be, we'll have you come guest on the show with us once a month. So I'm pretty excited about this Patreon. (laughs) And for people that just want some merch we do have a merch store which we will be putting some 
items in there mm-hmm. as well for the Legend of Zelda lore cast. It just takes some time because we have to design them. <laughs> but with all that being said, let's talk about some current news, okay? It's all over the place. We see the YouTube videos pop up, the the stream videos, the hey, what's going on videos, the articles, it's all over the place. Yet no one seems to have any answers. What's going on with Breath of the Wild 2? We don't know. (laughs) Simply put, we don't know. The best we can give everybody is that Amazon has already put it up for a pre-order option and has a release date of December 31st of this year, 2022. A lot of people are thinking that's not when it's going to come out, probably closer to November. Nintendo has always been and always will be really close to their chest with these cards. They're big ticket items, they're money, you know, they're big breadwinners, they're money. They're going to play it close to their chest, and I don't blame them, because these things, when they leak, cause problems sometimes. So, you know what, Nintendo? We got you. <laughs> but, but could you give us just another teaser trailer or something? Because holy cow. <laughs> but anyway... Ariel has brought us something special today. I'm bringing merch. Because who doesn't love collectibles? (laughs) I love collectibles. (laughs) So what I have brought today is a 12-hole tenor ocarina with Zelda songbook. Oh? Yeah, it's pretty sweet. It's a ceramic replica. Mm Mm-hmm. But it plays like you can play it. Oh, so it's an actual playable ocarina. Yes. And it has a songbook included so you can learn how to play the songs in Zelda. I want that so I can walk down the street and play Zelda's lullaby. (laughs) (laughs) So it's on STL Ocarina. The regular price is $75, but it's on sale for $60. And... You know, they always put the time limits of it's on sale for this mm-hmm. long, but you know it always refreshes. So oh, yeah. it's $60, which seems like a lot, but it is pretty sweet. I What is it made out of? Ceramic. Oh, so it's very breakable. Yeah, very breakable, but you can still play it and it looks awesome and i'm gonna put the link to this in the show notes and possibly on discord i i know there's a lot of replica ocarinas and things like that uh but ariel is showing me the picture of this thing and it is i'd have to say one of the closest i've seen to the ocarinas in the series and it 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 does look pretty incredible it uh, i'm probably gonna end up getting one (laughs) (laughs) well with all that being said let's go ahead and dive into the end of the show and discuss the evolution of hyrule (laughs) and we're back so before we discuss the evolution of hyrule and how it's become what we know today in breath of the wild the first thing and foremost thing we need to do is talk about what happened to the triforce after the original Link and Zelda. So, after the events of Skyward Sword, what we know is, of course, they died. 
Link and Zelda died of old age or whatever have you, but they reincarnate. The key to this, however, is that the hero only reincarnates when the people of Hyrule need him. So, Zelda will forever reincarnate. Link won't. Which, again, super sad. But, as Zelda reincarnates, the people of Skyloft elected that Zelda's family lineage should be considered royal family and be entrusted to protect the, the Triforce for all of time. And that's exactly what happened. The royal family took over and basically built Hyrule Castle directly in the center of everything. And there, for the longest time, the Triforce laid to rest. It wasn't until Raru, the Sage of Light, constructed the Temple of Time, which contained the only existing entrance to the Sacred Realm. There, the Triforce rested. There, he created the Gates of Time, or the Doors of Time, as they've been referred to. They've been referred to these two separate things, but it's, it's a set of doors to travel through time. And that is the only way to get to the Sacred Realm. Now, the Sword and the Sword of Time, or the Master Sword, or the Skyward Sword, or whatever you want to call it, it's been the same sword throughout the ages, we know it today as the Master Sword, was also behind these doors. These doors were sealed with the spiritual stones of the forest, fire, and water, and the stones were then left and entrusted to the races that represented them best. So, fire was left to the Gorons, water was left to the Zora, and the forest was left to the Kokiri. Now, those races, other than the Goron, did not exist at the time of Skyward Sword, which we'll get into some fan theories and things when we discuss those races in their own episodes. Coming very soon. In fact, there we have a line of those coming after this episode. So we'll get into more details with that later. But all that being said, now we know where our sword and our Triforce are. So let's talk about the evolution of Skyloft to Hyrule. So, in the events of Skyward Sword, Skyloft fell back to the Earth and rested back where it was originally lifted up from. It is theorized that this is where the Temple of Time was built. Exactly where the sword was left, exactly where the Triforce was originally acquired, this is where the Temple of Time was built. Which means that this is also where we have our castle and our town, our village, if you will. In Skyward Sword, we have three areas, in fact. We have the forested area, the deserty area, and the mountainous area. Right smack dab in the middle is where Skyloft lands. Now, as we progress through the ages, this remains pretty much the same as we go through all of the games. It isn't until we get to roughly right around Ocarina of Time that we have a slight adjustment. As the deserts are now closer to the northwestern corner and the southern corner is more water. 
A lot of this development is due to the fact that during the time of the Sage sealing the Triforce away, it was directly because people continued to fight violently over the power of the Triforce and nobody was really helping to develop the lands anymore. After the Triforce is sealed away and the power was basically forgotten, for the most part, except for by the royal family, people started to dedicate themselves to populating and growing the kingdom of Hyrule. So from there, we see a lot of evolutionary changes. Um, we see them through, you know, Minish Cap and Four Swords. We see this evolution progress so far up until we get to Ocarina of Time. Now, Ocarina of Time is interesting because at certain points, this is where our landmass changes. And it depends on what happens in the events of Ocarina of Time. So if you go by the heroes defeated, a lot of the landmasses turn to like wastes. And that is a direct reflection of Ganondorf taking over. And it progressively gets worse and worse because the land is basically just forgotten. If we go by the events of the child, you know, era of Link, things don't really change a whole lot until we get to Twilight Princess, where there's not really a whole lot of change. It's just the map kind of condenses itself. The landmass where people dwell kind of condenses itself and some of the land is forgotten, turning into deserts and things like that. When we go into the adult Link timeline, however, there is a massive change to our landmass. So much so that a new Hyrule has to be appointed. And this happens in Wind Waker, when the entire Earth is flooded by the goddesses in order to prevent Ganondorf's resurrection. So, yeah, after that, the new Hyrule is established. And that is another reason, which we'll get into later, of why I firmly believe that the timeline mostly matches up with Breath of the Wild because the Breath of the Wild map reflects the new landmass. Because now we have things in a whole different area. You know, our forest is higher up on the map than it used to be. Uh, our, you know, plateau is lower than it used to be. Our mountains are higher. Our deserts are in a complete opposite direction. You know, everything has changed and it's almost a reflection of a new landmass being formed. Now, I found it extremely intriguing that in each game that the lands are different and it reflects what is going on mm -hmm. in the world. I thought that was pretty cool. And even the species, which we will talk about later, I won't mm -hmm. get too much into that, but the species itself, how they keep changing in the different games as well. And some of them even are theorized that gone extinct because they only show up in one game or two mm -hmm. games and... Yeah, I love the thought in everything else that put into every single game. I think the Legend of Zelda series gathers a lot of fans based on this principle. I'd say majority of the way because people want a world that they feel a part of living, breathing, evolving, changing you know, and that is what the Legend of Zelda series has given us for the last 36 years, an ever evolving story. I know. And it's great because a lot of older games uh, are very linear. This is the world and this is how it's going to be. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't change much, if at all, half the time. So it, I agree with you. I love 
the fact that it continues to evolve. And you're right, we will get further into our species that have gone extinct or have evolved. Um, like, we'll get into it further, but the Zora and the Rito are actually the same species, just evolved, <laughs> which is crazy. But again, we'll get into it later. But yeah, I the the landmass itself ever evolving and ever changing. It has been in the slightest of ways, unless there's a gradual change in command or control, which again is another incredible reflection of the series. The bad guy takes over, everything's neglected and everything begins to become a waste and monsters are more prevalent and chaos ensues. But if the good guys are in control, the royal family's in control, everything for the most part is pretty peaceful. And even the the species reflects on that. Mm-hmm. So there's a couple questions that have been left unanswered in this episode. But again, we'll come back and revisit those. But this is the timelines. This is the landmass evolution. These are the things that we need to get out of the way before we can explore any further into the Legend of Zelda series. Because these things will be brought up on several occasions as and when we explain further things in the series. Yeah, we just want to give you the basis before we dive deep into the lore of everything. Mm -hmm. So with all that being said, we've talked about an awful lot of stuff today. And I know you had an interesting point to bring up of the regions and the species that live in them. So can you give us a take on reality, Ariel? Well, they, the lands in the games come from so many different cultures. Yes. Like there are influences of Middle East, Chinese, Japanese, Native American, mm -hmm. African, and even some similarities of the United States. Oh, okay. And one thing I thought was kind of interesting was talking about the castle okay is set in medieval europe because the sword the master sword yep. kind of resembles or you know kind of gives a take from excalibur which you know it makes sense because you know at the end of each one of the games or even in the middle of some of the games you have to pull the sword from the stone and if, especially in breath of the wild when you pull the sword from the stone, it zaps your health force and you cannot pull it if you're not strong enough, quote unquote. Yeah, it's that very is, heavily influenced by Excalibur and, yep. you know, King Arthur. And so I liked that aspect of it, too. Mm -hmm. But yeah, um, I won't go too much into uh, the different cultures yet because I'll explain that more when we get to the specific part of where we're talking about and the specific creatures that we're talking about what they could resemble from where they're from mm -hmm. or whatever but I just wanted to throw that little tidbit in there for now <laughs> yeah I've as a longtime fan of the series I have directly I have directly looked at the Hyrulean royal family and even some of the goddesses gifts or you know items like the sword of the goddess the master sword 
these items and this area really reflects heavily into European, you know, medieval dark age kind of stuff. And I love that about the Legend of Zelda series as well, because there's a little bit of something for everybody. It seems in the series, you know, it's, it's not a distinctive series of, you know, it's not one thing or another. It's really a well mixed, uh, you know, molding, you know, melding pot of you know, cultures and religious beliefs. And, you know, like you said, we see, you know, Japanese beliefs, you know, European beliefs, Middle Eastern beliefs. It's all in there. And it's so wonderful to see it meld so well together. Agreed. So we've talked a lot about the Legend of Zelda series and we still have more questions. So for the next episode, we are going to focus heavily on, well, the next couple episodes, I should say, we're going to focus very heavily on our races so we can get that out of the way and answer some of those nagging questions in the back of people's heads about how, what, when, where, to what extent, all the crazy questions. But until next time, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. And we hope to have you back next time. Bye. Thank you all for listening to The Legend of Zelda Lorecast tonight. We hope you enjoyed yourselves. If you did, tell a friend. Leave a review. We'd love to hear from you. You can chat with us all things Legend of Zelda on the Robots Radio Discord. Or you can get hold of us on our Twitter, at LOZLorecast. Intro and outro are done by Bentonal Landscape. Links are in the show notes below. Till next time, dear listener, it's dangerous to go alone. Take this. What up to Night City? You're listening to N54 Radio. This is DJ Sparks bringing you a new hit show from Night City, Cyberpunk, a cyberpunk red live play podcast. Listen as a ragtag group slamming on the corpos. Survive the streets and try to keep from being flatlined. You can tune in on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts. DJ Sparks out! Hello, this is Charlie Transmutation coming to you with another PSA announcement. No, Charlie. This is a commercial. What? Crap. Nobody told me that. Well, what are you supposed to do in this thing anyway? Well, Charlie, I'm glad you asked. This is the part where we introduce our new homebrew 5e D&D podcast, The Fumbling Four and the Almighty Crit, where we explore the homebrew world of Altaris using homebrew rules and homebrew material from the Dungeon Master's Guild. Eh, sounds boring. I'm out of here. See you later, Charlie. We hope to have you guys come check us out soon. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts.